Good evening and welcome to the sixth and final installment of the AP World History uh, Test Review Podcast. So congratulations, you've made it through pretty much all the news material. Um, I will be uh, kind of doing a general what you need to study for the, uh, the final podcast coming up. Uh, I will not talk about each and uh, every individual topic. For that, I suggest that you go back and listen to the former podcasts. But in any case, um, uh, first of all, my apologies. Apologies, my neighbor has decided that now is the perfect time to blow his leaves, um, and therefore you may occasionally hear some rather loud noises, but my apologies. Let's go ahead and get started. Um, please pull out your study guide. If you don't have a copy, guys, uh, download it from the blog right now and take a look at it. You'll notice that there aren't a lot of discussion questions on this. Uh, my apologies. I ran short on time. Um, I will put a number of them up on uh, this particular blog post here. So let's go ahead and get started with World War One. With regards to World War I, it would not be a bad idea for you to be able to explain a little bit of the role of improved technology um, on, uh, on military tactics during the war. Um, remember trench warfare. Uh, that's an older form of uh, military strategy used first in the American Civil War and then the Franco-Prussian War. Um, and it's based on holding territory, holding land. But when combined with things like uh, the increased technological output of, say, machine guns or tanks, uh, landmines, airplanes, as well as poison gas, trench warfare becomes incredibly deadly during World War I. So keep that in mind. All right. Um, in terms of World War One, the really important issues here are causation and effects. Um, I am not really going to ask you about the battles, although it is not a bad idea to know that Verdun and the Somme were incredibly deadly. Uh, that's good information to be able to pull into an essay. Um, between the two battles, we're talking about 1.6 million soldiers killed or wounded. Um, uh, that is a ridiculous number of casualties, considering that there are only um, only 9 million soldiers killed during the course of the entire war. So therefore, those two battles represent uh, over a ninth of the casualties of the entire, uh, the entire conflict. The Battle of the Marne is simply the cessation of uh, the German advance into Paris uh, as a result of the Schieffelin Plan. Um, I do expect you to know what the Schieffelin Plan is. Uh, remember that this is something that Germany dreams up as early as 1905, just in the theoretical possibility that, say, Germany should be attacked by both uh, France and Russia at the same time. Not that it would ever happen. How would they get out of it? And the idea was to attack France through Belgium, uh, be able to take over Paris within six weeks and then, and only then, turn one's attention to Russia, thus avoiding dividing one's forces. However, the Schieffen plan is a disaster. It does not work. Um, uh, Germany had not counted on Great Britain coming to Belgium's aid. Remember, Belgium was neutral, brave little toaster Belgium. Um, and uh, they had not expected Russia to mobilize its troops as quickly as it did. Um, now, granted, the Russian troops were not well outfitted. Remember that uh, we're only talking um, about 50% of the front lines in the first few battles having access to weapons, so um, it was a slaughter on uh, the Russian, uh, Russian infantry part. 
In terms of causes for World War I, uh, it's really important that you remember that whole nationalism thing from the last unit. Remember, nationalism is the belief that uh, one ethnic group or one group of shared culture or history or language uh, deserves to be recognized as a separate entity, hence a nation-state. Um, Nation, uh, nationality and nationhood at this point is a big buzzword, particularly for the Slavic region. Um, you have a rise in what is pan-Slavism, this idea that all people of Slavic descent um, have a right to independence. Um, this is particularly concerning in the Balkan region. This is just slightly north of uh, Greece in the Balkan area. Um, we're talking Serbia, Montenegro, Bosnia, Herzegovina, um, what will eventually become Yugoslavia, also Czechoslovakia. Slovakia. This region um, is pockmarked by a, a number of different ethnic groups, but most identify as Slavic. Um, and Austria-Hungary, uh, with its Germanic origins, uh, pushes a couple of buttons when it winds up taking over Bosnia-Herzegovina, while Serbia and other uh, Slavic nations are gaining their independence. Now, Russia, which could usually be counted on to defend Slavic independence, did nothing to intervene when Austria-Hungary takes over Bosnia-Herzegovina. Uh, this is largely because Bosnia-Herzegovina, um, excuse me, Bosnia, ah, my apologies, Austria-Hungary had promised Russia access to the Dardanelles, which was a strait that led into, uh, into uh, Istanbul. And if Russia controlled the Dardanelles, then they could essentially starve out the Ottoman Empire, their age-old enemy. However, Austria-Hungary goes back on its word, and therefore uh, Russia is not particularly pleased with uh, Austria-Hungary now. Um, during the late 19th century, we have a series of incredibly complex alliances develop. Remember when we tossed the string around the room and we had uh, the red and the blue string showing who was allied with whom. Um, please remember who's involved in the Triple Alliance uh, versus the Triple Entente. Uh, the Triple Entente is going to involve France, just so you know. That's why it's got the French thing in there. Okay. Um, there is a misspelling on your study guide. My apologies, guys. Uh, it is not the Zimmerman Telegraph. It's the Zimmerman Telegraph, as in Z for zebra. Um, let's see. Other things you need to make sure you understand. Uh, know the clauses for the Treaty of Versailles and how that sets up World War II. Um, that is a big issue. Gosh, that would make a great short answer question. I'm just saying. Um, beyond that, I would know who Chaim Weizmann is. Chaim Weizmann, remember, is a Zionist. He wants to have the establishment of an independent Jewish nation in Jerusalem, which is uh, part of Palestine uh, at this point in time. So in 1917, while the British are trying to get uh, the, Ar uh, the Arabs in uh, the Arabian Peninsula to rise up against the Ottoman Empire and thus pull the Ottoman Empire out of the, uh, out of, uh, the central powers, uh, there is a British movement into Jerusalem. And because this is a, a rather sensitive area of the world, um, there is the issuing of the Balfour Declaration. And this is a statement by the British saying that they have every intention of forming, in some time in the future, a Jewish state out of Palestine, while at the same time recognizing Palestinian um, autonomy, which which would mean that they have self-rule. So it's creating a Jewish state while at the same time recognizing 
Arab and, and Palestinian autonomy, which that is a very difficult and very fine line to walk, and the question becomes, can it ever be walked by anyone? Other things you need to pay attention to with regards to World War One, be sure you know Russia's role in the war. Um, what is what is its situation? How does its contributions to World War One lead into our next topic, which is the Russian Revolution? So take a look down to the next section here. For this one, you best understand what Marxism is, um, as well as Bolshevism. Excuse me, Bolshevism as well as socialism. Um, if you don't know those terms, it's going to be real hard to answer any questions about this. Russian Revolution, you need to recognize, goes back as far as 1905, um, when you have a series of revolutions develop uh, across Russia. They are mostly uh, democratic with a socialist leaning. Um, a result of the 1905 uh, revolutions are both the mutiny on board the battleship Potemkin, for those of you who saw the film, but it's also the October Manifesto, which essentially is supposed to take some power away from Tsar Nicholas II. Um, it creates the Duma, D-U-M-A, which is the uh, Russian parliament, essentially, at this point in time. Uh, but Nicholas doesn't really use the, the Duma the way it's supposed to be used. Uh, he doesn't really allow the October Manifesto to limit his powers. Essentially, the Duma becomes an advisory board, and they don't really do that much. Um, beyond that, let's keep going. So, 1905, uh, the Soviet uh, Soviets, excuse me, the Russians get involved uh, in World War uh, One on behalf of Serbia after the assassination of Archduke Franz Ferdinand, which I'm sure you remember. Some bloke, bloke uh, called Archduke shot an ostrich because he was hungry. Remember all that. Um, at any rate, uh, let's see here. Tsar Nicholas is going to support his cousin, King George V, over in Great Britain uh, during World War One, And so he orders people forward to the front. Now, the problem is, is that um, Russia is experiencing a major, major uh, problem economically. It hasn't industrialized properly. There's famine. Uh, the soldiers are not being paid very well, nor are they being supplied. It's sending lambs to slaughter here. So there's resentment. So as early as 15, uh, moving into 1916 and 17, there are a number of protests against the Tsar. You also need to remember that um, Gregory Rasputin has kind of wormed his way into the Romanov um, family uh, because uh, Alexandra and Nicholas both believe that uh, Gregory Rasputin, who is understood to be a faith healer or a holy man, although he's a very unholy holy man, um, he he can cure their son of hemophilia. Uh, this, of course, is not the truth, uh, hemophilia being a genetic condition, um, but at any rate, uh, they believed it to be true and therefore put up with this man who was quite hated by the Russian peasantry. Now, um, all these factors combine to make the Tsar very, very unpopular, um, and what winds up happening is in 1917, um, there is a peaceful protest in Petrograd, St. Petersburg, um, and uh, it involves about 200,000 workers and also soldiers. Once they reach the Winter Palace, which is the traditional home of the Romanovs, the Tsar's guards uh, 
follow, uh, follow, excuse me, fire on uh, the the protesters. Um, this is Bloody Sunday. Um, th- thousands of individuals are killed, at least hundreds, uh, if not thousands of individuals are killed. Um, and this really sparks the revolution. Um, once Bloody Sunday occurs, you have a number of protest movements spring up all over the country. Um, Ultimately, Nicholas II will be forced to abdicate, um, give up his throne. Uh, The royal family is then uh, shipped off to a number of various places. They are eventually taken far into eastern Russia, um, where they are killed. Anastasia, while a lovely movie, I'm afraid is not the truth. Too bad. Um, Also, I I can hear first period saying, but it's Disney, it has to be true. It is not. It is a Fox production. I don't think it's Fox Searchlight, but it's definitely not Disney, and therefore um, not true. At any rate, uh, after uh, the execution of the Tsar, you have the rise of a, a, a sort of provincial government, uh, sort of a temporary government. Um, this is a, uh, created out of the Duma, the people who had been elected to this Russian legislature, who had never really been allowed to do anything, um, are in charge of the country now. Now, the problem, of course, with this is that uh, they don't really know what they're doing. Um, but they do their best. However, Germany really, really, really would like Russia to pull out of World War One. meanwhile, back on the ranch. Um, and the reason for this, of course, is because Germany is fighting a two-front war. So if Russia pulls out of the war, then they're only fighting a one-front war, and they can allocate more resources to that end. Um, so what happens is Vladimir Lenin, this radical Bolshevik, um, who had gotten in trouble in the 1880s, uh, had been forced out of Russia and had been living in um, in Switzerland for a number of years. So the Germans essentially alert him to the fact that this revolution has taken place, um, send a private train car to him, and Lenin hops on board, shows up in Petrograd, um, and then quickly seizes hold of the revolution. Um, he is a die-hard socialist, Marxist. Um, he believes in peace, bread, and land. He wants to end the war with Germany, pull Russia out of World War One. He wants to uh, give land to the peasants, uh, land redistribution programs, and he wants to assure that there is food. Um, he is pretty hardline. At the same time, you have the establishment of so- Soviets uh, throughout uh, Russia. These are workers' councils, essentially. They are elected bodies. They are quite significant. Other things you need to know about. Okay, once the Bolsheviks come to power, not everybody's really happy about this. You wind up with the Russian Civil War. This is the Red Army versus the White Army. The Red communist Bolsheviks, white, pretty much everybody else, people who like the Tsar, people who want democracy, people who just want to be slightly less left-wing socialist. Um, This is the problem with the white army. Because it is so diverse, they can't really unify their ideas. Um, They will lose to the Red Army, which is administered by Leon Trotsky. Now, Lenin will die in 1925, and this leads to the question of, well, who takes his place? Um, Leon Trotsky is the obvious pick in terms of ideology and military experience, because he ran the Red Army, but there is a new gentleman in charge of the Communist Party in Russia, and that is Joseph Stalin. Stalin um, is actually not his last name. Remember, his last name is something I can't pronounce, but Stalin means man of steel in Russian. Um, Joseph Stalin rises essentially to become Russia's new dictator. 
Stalin is quite harsh. He is also very anti-Semitic and issues a number of pogroms against Jewish populations within Russia, um, which is now Soviet Russia. My apologies. We can refer to it appropriately now as the USSR. Um, basically, uh, Stalin is incredibly, incredibly authoritarian. Um, he is paranoid. He has a number of secret police, the NKVD. Um, he also establishes a series of five-year plans for industrialization. Um, he wants to see the Soviet Union match America as well as Western Europe in its industrial output within a course of five years. Um, this is a very difficult thing. Um, so you have the quick construction of things like steel mills. Um, this doesn't necessarily mean that the steel that's produced is very high quality. He also has a policy of agricultural collectivization, where the land that had been redistributed to the pe peasants under Lenin is collected into enormous farm collectives and then farmed as a group. Um, however, this actually lowers ag uh, agricultural production, so not so good. You do have some places that try to hold out against Stalin's takeovers. Unfortunately, uh, Stalin is rather ruthless, particularly a, a example in the Ukraine. Uh, the Ukraine tries to resist Stalin's rule. Um, he essentially cuts off all food supply to uh, the Ukraine in what is called a terror famine, a, a famine that is politically induced in order to create fear. Now, um, other things you need to know here, uh, under Stalin's rule, the Soviet Union becomes essentially atheist. Um, the output of the uh, Russian Orthodox Church is lar largely uh, contained, if not entirely uh, ab uh, stuffed out. Um, you also have the development of a school of art, including literature as well as music and various other cultural productions called socialist realism. Um, this is supposed to glorify the output of the social uh, of the Soviet Union. All right. <clears throat> World War II. Oh my gosh, guys, I'm not going to go over everything. Um, basically, I want you to know how the war starts in each theater. Um, so for the Pacific Theater, I need you to know that in 1931, uh, Japan invades in Manchuria, sets up a puppet regime called Manchuko with the former emperor of the Qing dynasty, Emperor Puyi. Um, when we talk about uh, the European theater, we need to talk about um, Hitler's desire for Lebensraum. Lebensraum is the German term for living space. Remember, Hitler has all of his wacky uh, racial ideas with regards to an Aryan race, and he believes that if the Germanic people are going to truly develop uh, into the superior race, or rather, uh, to show their their superiority because he doesn't believe they need to develop this um, in in a proper manner they need space in which to do it so Lebensraum living space essentially um, so he begins taking over various countries uh, the order of his conquests are the Rhineland from France France does nothing Britain does nothing the Sudetenland and Czechoslovakia France and Britain do nothing Czechoslovakia Neville Chamberlain says that's it. Really, pause. That pause. You know, really, that is the absolute last straw. This is uh, Chamberlain's policy of appeasement. So the takeover in uh, Czechoslovakia in '39 is kind of the line in the sand. Um, uh, Hitler makes it clear that he is interested in taking over Poland. Signs a non-aggression pact with uh, Stalin complicated relationship between Stalin and France and Great Britain. You might want to know that. Um, and uh, then on September 1st, 1939, uh, Hitler crosses the line in the sand, invades Poland and Germany, and France declare war on September 3rd.
now. Back in the Pacific Theater, we have issues of uh, Japanese expansion, not just in Manchuria, but also a, a direct invasion into China in 1937. This is the second Sino-Japanese uh, uh, War. Um, other things I need you to know, Vichy France, remember that's the, the southern French government that cooperates and collaborates with the German Nazi government. Um, you should know that Ethiopia is kind of the first uh, attempt of Italian expansionism. Mussolini takes over the independent African kingdom of Ethiopia uh, in 1935, and Hitler's kind of supports him in this, and that's where Italy and Germany get to be good buds. Um, other things you need to know, oh my gosh, lots of things. Um, you should know what the conference at Yalta was, and what the conference at Potsdam was. Um, Yalta, remember, that's where we come up with the idea of dividing Germany uh, into segments uh, that will be administered by different allies. Um, this will be kind of the groundwork for the Cold War. Uh, in terms of the Potsdam conference, this is really Really trying to address how we're going to end the war with Japan. This is after FDR's death in April of 1945, um, and so Harry S. Truman is president of the U.S. and has just received word that the first successful detonation of an atomic bomb has occurred in the New Mexican deserts. Um, this gives essentially the go-ahead to use the A-bomb on Hiroshima and Nagasaki in 1945, August thus ending the conflict. Other major terms you need to know. Operation Overlord, remember that's the final sort of plan to try and squeeze out Nazi Germany from uh, from Western Europe. Uh, that part of Operation Overlord involves D-Day, the invasions at Normandy. Um, other things, let's see here, uh, the tactic of island hopping in the Pacific Theater. Uh, remember, the closer you get to Japan, the easier it is for, bomb, uh, for bombers to fly uh, routes over places like Tokyo. So uh, that's the purpose of acquiring these various islands. Um, you should definitely, of course, know what the Holocaust is. Um, individuals who might have been targeted by uh, Hitler's final solution would include people of Jewish descent, uh, Catholics, communists, uh, the Roma, that's a, a more correct term for the gypsies, um, uh, people of African descent were very often targeted, as well as people who were suspected of being homosexual. Um, so all of these people who don't necessarily fit into Hitler's idea of this perfect Aryan race are targets. Um, the Jewish population is, of course, uh, targeted to a greater extent than any other, but I do want to make a point of, of making it clear that there are other targets as well. Alright, I'm going to jump really quickly into the Cold War, talk briefly about uh, Latin America, and that's it, guys. So, here we go. In terms of the Cold War, major topics you need to understand are containment, the Truman Doctrine. George Kennan is kind of the author of the idea of containment. Remember, containment is that idea that communism is like chickenpox. It's a virus. It will spread. So you have to isolate it where it is um, so that nobody else catches it. Um, this kind of leads into the domino theory, that once one country becomes communist, all the other countries around it are at risk and they could fall to communism. Um, we have major concerns um, out of World War II um, that contribute to Cold War ideology, including the Marshall Plan, where the U.S. kind of sets up a close economic relationship with Western Europe in an attempt to rebuild um, the economies of Western Germany and Italy. Um, they do offer aid to the Soviet Union, but the Stalin turns it down. 
Now, um, I have NATO and Warsaw Pact on this list of terms. Um, these terms, I, I, I can't remember if we went over in both classes or not. NATO stands for North Atlantic Treaty Organization. These are largely the anti-communist countries, um, the people who are on the American side of the Cold War. The Warsaw Pact involves countries that sign uh, essentially treaties with the Soviet Union. Um, so this is the us and them division in terms of the Cold War. We talked about the Cuban Missile Crisis in uh, class. Make sure you understand the relationship between uh, U.S. imperialism or neocolonialism in Latin America and its relationship to uh, the Cuban Revolution and what the Cuban Revolution has to do with a relationship with Nikita Khrushchev. Remember, it's all about sugar for oil and the nationalization of the refineries in Cuba. Um, the arms race that results as, as part of the Cold War um, contributes greatly to what will become the space race. Um, the U.S. doesn't land a man on the moon without the Cold War. This is the driving force of technology of the later half of the 20th century. Um, other things you need to remember, oh gosh, uh, Berlin Airlift. Berlin Wall is constructed in uh, 1961. It will come down in 89. But the tensions really start to develop between East and West Germany and East and West Berlin in 48 and 49, when the Soviet Union tried to essentially squeeze off um, West Berlin and isolate it from the rest of the Allied forces. Okay, um, I know that's really quick, but I'm just going to jump really quickly here through Latin America. Basic concept you need to know and with regards to Latin America is that we have a pattern of, of, of largely repressive military, military dictatorships uh, or caudillos. We have caudillos and then strictly military dictatorships later on. Um, in Mexico, we have issues of reform and, and then uh, sort of corrupt government uh, officials. So we have people like Benito Juarez, who is responsible for La Reforma. Remember, Juarez is, he's mestizo, he is of indigenous background, he's Zapotec, which is unusual. He's the first president of Mexico with an indigenous background. Um, he will be succeeded by Porfirio Diaz, who is going to maintain power for the next 40 years. He will be eventually overthrown during the 1910-1911 uh, Mexican Revolution. Um, major figures in that will be Francisco Madero, who is the political head of uh, the Mexican Revolution. But the real strong arms, the people behind the fighting, are people like uh, Pancho Villa. And uh, let's see here, I've got Pancho Villa twice on your sheet. I'm sorry about that. Pancho Villa and Emiliano Zapata. Um, remember, Zapata is in charge of the uh, indigenous uprisings in the south of Mexico. Pancho Villa is kind of, uh, he's a desperado up in northern, uh, northern Mexico. He will eventually be killed by American forces. Zapata will be assassinated in 1919. Now, as a result of the Mexican Revolution, we have the establishment of the Constitution of 1917, which issues land reform policies. Um, essentially, haciendas, large land, uh, are broken up and given to peasants. Um, there, is, uh, restrict there are restrictions placed on how much land foreign governments can buy in Mexico. Um, this is unusual in comparison to the rest of Central America, because in Central America, we have things like uh, the United Fruit Company buying up enormous population. Uh, areas within, say, Costa Rica and other places, um, setting up what we would call, rather derogatorily, um, banana republics. 
All right. I am going to hope that you know what NAFTA is, North at North American Free Trade Association, as well as Mercosur, which is essentially the South American version of NAFTA. Um, the PRI, the uh, Partido Revolucionario Institucional, or the Institutional Revolutionary Party, uh, was the dominant political party in Mexico from about 1917 until 2000, when Vicente Fox from the PAN Party, uh, the National Action Party, was elected. Um, the current president of Mexico, Felipe Calderón, is also from the PAN, the political action, uh, the um, uh, National Action Party. All right, guys, I am not going to cover India or China because we just did those. So check your notes, read up on stuff, and I will see you tomorrow. Study hard, study hard, study hard. By the way, your short answer questions will either be over Latin America, India, Cold War, or World War One. Those are your areas, so think about those topics. All right, guys, I'll see you tomorrow.